I'm the first to admit that Fruit Bowl could be more diverse, especially when it comes to people who do not identify as male. I actively reach out to female-identified people, but the answer I get back most often, if any, is a polite, no thank you. I try not to take it personally. I get it. It's weird when someone you don't know asks to film you describing intimate details about your sex life. Honestly, my answer would likely be no as well. Women have a lot more to lose when it comes to talking about sex. In spite of how far we think American culture has come with sexual liberation, women who talk about having sex are at a greater risk of being branded sluts, whereas men are celebrated for their sexual conquests. And as a cis male, I know that there's some built-in skepticism about my intentions and a hesitancy when it comes to trusting me with women's stories. I suspect that if I was a lesbian, I could convince a lot more women to sit down and talk with me. It's human nature to trust people who look like us, and I know that's why so many cis gay men trust me with their stories. A few people have suggested I just give up trying to include women and just let Fruit Bowl settle into a forum for gay men. But if you're a longtime listener, you might have figured out by now that, as someone who has spent the last three years working on this enormous project without any assistance, I am not someone who gives up easily. I don't want to just interview gay men. That would be really boring. I love interviewing all different kinds of queer people. I learn so much when I interview someone whose life experience is, on the surface, nothing like mine. I really do believe that by collecting and sharing diverse queer stories, we can begin to see what unites us. That's why I'm so excited to share Carilla's interview. As I was editing her interview this week, I found myself relating to her story in so many deep and meaningful ways. How many of us have felt insecure about our bodies or our queer identities? How many of us had parents who ignored our questions about sex? How many of us moved someplace far away where we could define ourselves on our own terms, where we would be accepted and not judged about our sexuality? How many of us have felt the sting of being ghosted by someone who said that they loved us? So I have no intention of giving up my search for queer women's stories to share. In fact, I'm determined to collect at least 20 interviews with female-identified interviewees before I even think of starting to edit the larger Fruit Bowl feature or TV series. So if you or someone you know is femme-identified and interested in sharing, please reach out to me via the contact portal on the FruitBowlPodcast.com website. Fruit Bowl is produced independently by me, Dave Quantic, without financial sponsors, advertising revenue, or corporate media support, except for the funds provided by my awesome Patreon supporters. Thanks to Greg B. for becoming my latest patron, and also to Brian M. for increasing their monthly donation amount. That brings us to 24 patrons who, together, provide $124 per month. If we can get to $375 per month, I can start to train an assistant editor to help me produce more episodes more often. Remember that patrons get advanced access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video excerpts that are not publicly viewable. Okay, that's enough from me. Here's Carilla, who I spoke with in June of 2021 in Portland, Oregon. And my friend is like, oh, I wonder where Carilla went. And he walks out of his apartment and we're pretty much just like right there in the grass, 
like in front of this party. And my friend just screams <laughs> out of shock. And other people come out and they're just like looking out and just see me in the grass, just getting like railed. And honestly, like I don't even think that was the like embarrassing part, although it was a Halloween party and I was Minnie Mouse. And the next morning, my friend sent me a photo of my Minnie Mouse ears just abandoned in the grass. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name's Carilla. I'm 28 years old and I graduated from high school in 2011. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, and um, I call it the Dirty D sometimes to be funny, but mostly because I think it's a town that's like a sleepy little beach town where people grow up and they don't really leave and everybody knows everyone. Um, and I just always felt a little like out of place there. I would say it's conservative. It's a really bit, it's like the birthplace of NASCAR. And so a couple times a year, like a bunch of people will just roll in with their Confederate flags and their Budweiser and just, you know, kiki and hang out. And it's not really the kind of environment where I felt like super accepted or that it would be okay to be gay. Um, there's also a huge biker community. And, um, you know, people, again, come into town and take over and it's like big to go to the biker bars. But, um, yeah, those people generally are not the most, uh, I would say, like accepting or, um, you know, liberal people I've ever met. I was raised by a single mom from Brazil. And to call my mom conservative would, I don't know if that's necessarily the right term. She was raised Catholic, being Catholic and is really common in Brazil. She moved here when she was in her like mid-20s and um, had my sister and I and raised us on her own. Um, my father died when I was nine and I didn't really know him that well and he wasn't really in my life. So it was a pretty like stressful environment. My sister's five years older than me. We grew up together. I always like refer to her as like the sister I grew up with because I do have other um, siblings on my father's side. I kind of operated in this like dynamic where it was just my mother, my sister and I, and we didn't have a lot of like family friends. We had no relatives in this country. Um, and when we went to Brazil, I'm not fluent in Portuguese. So uh, when we met other family members, I honestly like didn't know what they were saying. And so I was often like in the corner of the room, just sitting quietly, either like reading a book or, or listening to people talk, but it wasn't, I would never know what they were saying. So as far as I knew, there were no other like family members that were gay and there were just like no examples of like a gay person in my life. We just kind of kept to ourselves. And so not a lot of other like role models outside of our like family unit or like school. How would you define your queer identity? Most of the time I wouldn't, but uh, when I'm comfortable with someone, I usually say that I'm bisexual. What makes you comfortable enough to tell someone that? I would say that, like, sometimes I have this big 
imposter syndrome, um, both in the queer community and in the straight community. Uh, I usually tell someone that I'm bisexual when I feel like they'll, you know, not say anything either dismissive or, you know, someone that I feel like could accept my identity. Um, oftentimes with straight men, when I tell them that I'm bisexual, they ask me for a threesome or they tell me it's very interesting and they'd like to hear about my adventures um, as if it's something that, you know, is sexual for them and not just a sexual identity for me. Is your mom accepting of your identity? Well, so I'll be honest, I have never formally come out to her, um, mostly because I keep most of my life private from her. I've imagined the conversation in my head many times, and uh, I think that she would just say, well, you'll meet the right man eventually. Or she, she might not say anything at all. She might dismiss it or even pretend that she didn't hear me. So, you know, I haven't really given her the benefit of the doubt to try to tell her. Um, with the rest of my family, you know, I'm open if they ask. I did tell my sister um, a couple of years ago, and she actually confided in me that she's pansexual. So that was a really, like, lovely moment between us. Cool. Would you say that you and your sister are close? I wouldn't say that we're on bad terms in any way, but I wouldn't say that we're close. Like, we don't talk a lot. I don't think we know a ton about each other's lives. Um, there are, like, a lot of reasons for that, but mostly, like, we had a difficult dynamic with our mother, and I think that she was, you know, very interested in getting away from our family. And I sort of was also felt that way. Um, and so we've just sort of, you know, gone our separate paths. Sometimes I feel like I've always known that sex has existed, mostly because I can't think of like a specific time when I like realized that sex was a thing. Um, I remember reading like erotic novels when I was like seven or eight. We were at like a family friend's house, one of the few family friends that we had. And he had this big box of books and I just loved to read. So I picked one up and I started reading and it was all about like, you know, the tumescent rod and the, you know, he laid me on the carpet next to the fire type stuff. I remember that being very kind of distinct of like, oh, wow, like this is what sex is. And then I remember asking my mom later if she could tell me about sex. And she said, oh, just, just here, read a book or something. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I read a book and I have some questions. And she gave me a like a anatomical book, like a, here, you know, learn about your body kind of book. And she said, just read it in here. Was that helpful? Um, I would say it helped me understand the logistics, <laughs> but not anything else. <laughs> what did you think was lacking a, an emotional sort of context or? Yeah, I think that it would have been more helpful, especially being a woman, if my mom was capable of having a conversation with me about like, what are the reasons you should have sex? How do you make that decision? Like, when do you know that that's right? And like, why do people even do it? 
lots of reasons, you know, and you might not share all of those reasons with a child, but I think like ideas around consent, you can definitely go through with a child. Like sometimes you might want to let someone touch your body. Sometimes you won't. And you can be honest about that and you can speak up about that and you don't have to be afraid to say yes or no because sex is about what you want and not just what someone else wants. And I, I kind of think that was missing in a lot of what I learned about sex in my, early on in my life. While she never sat me down to explain what sex was to me, she did have very strict rules around whether I was allowed to have sex. Something she wasn't willing to explain to me, but something that I knew I could never do while I was with her. My mom's only rule in my house was no boys and no having sex until you're 18 and then you can do what you want. And so when my sister started having sex at 14, there was one day where uh, my mom was this was back when you had landline phones and you could just like pick up the phone on the other end and listen to a conversation. And my mom was listening to my sister's conversation with her friend and I was seven. And I'm not sure of the timeline of like whether this was before or after I really uh, got, had gotten the anatomy book, but my mom was listening to my sister's conversation and she overheard that my sister had lost her virginity to an older guy in the back of his car. And my mom hangs up the phone and stomps up the steps and kicks my sister's door down and starts screaming at her, saying, like, you let him fuck you. You let him fuck you. And, like, we're living in a two-bedroom apartment, and I'm downstairs. And I just have to listen to this, like, horrific argument about how my sister had lost her virginity and how that was, like, just the probably the worst thing she could have done and my mom acted like it was the worst thing that she could have done and I just had to kind of listen to that that argument um and so I just always like thought sex was bad and like something that could get me in trouble As time went on, I was actually more willing to talk about sex than my friends were, and I always have been that way. When I was in the fourth grade, I had this friend, though. She loved talking about sex, even though we were only, like, 10. And she would, like, talk about, like, giving blowjobs and talk about how she was, like, really excited to, like, have sex someday and... I was never like that, you know, I was, I was like, wow, that's really intense. Like we're in the fourth grade, but she was, yeah, would, would always kind of initiate these conversations around sex. And, um, as I've gotten older, I've been more comfortable talking about sex. Um, but more so when I was like maybe in my teens than when I was 10. So I don't know. I, I, I've consulted the internet a lot about sex and I find that like some of my friends, even like have misconceptions about things. And so I'm, I've been very frequently been the person that's like, let's debunk this myth that like you shouldn't be having an orgasm during sex, like, or that like sex shouldn't be just as pleasurable for you as it is for a man. You know, let's have a conversation around like whether there's sperm and pre-cum, like let's have a conversation around birth control. Um, so I've talked a lot about sex with my friends um, in an educational way, but it also in a, like a 
encouraging them to feel more like liberated way. Um, but I can't think of a friend that, other than that friend in the fourth grade who like talked a lot, a lot about sex, um, who, you know, has really taught me anything. I didn't have sex all through like high school. I didn't actually lose my virginity until I was 20, mostly because that was the rule, right? That was the fear. But I would still like talk to my friends about like they would be having sex with their boyfriends. I never dated anybody. I was just like too terrified. And I would never put myself out there like that. And I was also like more of a shy teenager. But I always had like a curiosity. And when it came time for me to have sex, I felt like, okay, I've like had all the conversations with people. I've done all the research. And like, I know what I'm doing. Um, But that's because like I'm a a nerd and I'm an overachiever. And I just like felt like I needed to thoroughly research this thing. And now, I don't know, as I've like gotten more comfortable with myself, I want other people to be more comfortable with themselves. It sounds like your research really paid off. Yeah, in a way. I mean, there's some things that you won't ever know until you do them. <laughs> um, and to this day, I still ask like my friends questions about sex um, more than I probably did when I was like a teenager. As an adult, I'm more comfortable asking people really pointed questions. Like, you know, I asked a group of friends like, a couple of weeks ago, how to give a prostate massage because I'd never given one before. So um, that was a fun conversation where, you know, I'm sitting around a table with a bunch of bears and they're explaining to me how to give a great prostate massage. What were their tips? Uh, lots of lube, honey. Gotta just lube it up. Be very generous with it. <laughs> and um, yeah, make sure they're clean beforehand. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's some pre-work in that. I joke sometimes that the weirdest thing I ever masturbated with was the CD rack. And um, it's actually just because uh, I had this CD rack where the middle of it was filled with water and it bubbled up and changed colors and it had marbles in it. And it was just kind of this groovy CD rack. And to make the bubbles in the water was this like little vibrating connected thing. And I was like 10 years old and I was watching like that 70s show. I really love Mila Kunis, what can I say? And I had like humped my stuffed animals before. I had like used my fingers before, but this was the first time that I think I fully like gave myself like a really wild orgasm. And yeah, I was 10 years old, just like using this little like vibrating thing that was connected to my CD rack. And um, I used that quite a bit for a while. I feel like I've had a crush on every single teacher I've ever had, to be honest. I have like an anxious attachment style. So like anyone who shows me like a modicum of like affection and gives me compliments, I've just like fall in love with them instantly. Um, so, you know, I would say like Miss J from like kindergarten, I probably had a crush on her. And in the third grade, uh, we had a teaching assistant who, like, I used to just imagine what his penis would look like. I just remember sitting in class, like, we're trying to, like, solve math problems. And he always gave me such, like, positive affirmation. He's just like, Carilla's already got the answer. She's so smart. Look at her. And I'm just sitting there, like, imagining what it would be like if I saw his dick. <laughs> what about a famous crush? Um, 
Sarah Michelle Geller. Because I watched Cruel Intentions and there was like that, you know, really hot kiss with her and Selma Blair. And and then I watched a lot of Buffy as well. So Sarah Michelle Geller for sure. I would say like I defined my first time in, in multiple ways. Like my first time being intimate with a woman, I wouldn't say that we even like had what others would consider sex really because there was, you know, it was just making out and like rubbing our breasts together. Uh, it was prom night and it was with a friend who I also had a huge crush on. And I mean, like I, d- I didn't date in high school and we just like, I went to prom in a, with a group of friends and she was in that group and I had these like, unrequited like feelings I'd been harboring for her and I knew that she was actually into women as well um mostly because we were in drama class and like a couple of us caught her making out with some chick like in the in the wings and so I knew that like there was a possibility there but maybe she like didn't really like me and we had gotten this hotel room after prom and we had been drinking a little bit and the kids who had gotten the hotel room were like in bed and we were sleeping on the floor and we were just like cuddled up together and I just decided to go for it and I started making out with her, which was just like super wild because I just like never made out with anyone really, let alone a woman. And, you know, just played with each other's breasts and and made out and she didn't really want it to go any further than that. So we didn't, you know, I consider that the first time I was like really intimate with someone that I wanted to be intimate with, uh, even though it's probably not sex the way I would maybe define it right now in my life. But at that point it felt like a very like important moment. Um, and then the first time I had like standard, like penetrative sex with, you know, the way you would define it in the straight community and how like most, I think, straight women define it when you think about like losing your virginity, which like I used to kind of be obsessed with that concept. Like when I was like 18 or 19, I felt weird that I hadn't had sex yet and felt like maybe I'm not desirable and what's wrong with me that I haven't even had any opportunities because So many of my friends like had already had sex or had long-term boyfriends or even had people like who wanted to have sex with them. And I just like never really had anyone even proposition me. Um, But I started dating somebody in uh, my freshman year of college and we had this sort of like on and off relationship. I was very like nervous and awkward about it because I just still couldn't like shake that fear that my mom instilled in me that like maybe something was like I was doing something wrong or that like I would have sex and some sort of consequence would happen, you know, like there would be like something bad as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And so we were both nervous. It was both our first times and we had done like, we had fooled around a little bit, but like had not actually had sex. And I prepared, I went to the doctor beforehand, I got on the pill, I researched like what kind of, you know, birth control I should get and, 
you know, how to give a good blow job. <laughs> I was, you know, very like wanted to be prepared. And actually when it happened, he was more nervous than I was. And he was also nervous because he was a pretty like fat guy and was, you know, aside from just being self-conscious, um, he was nervous about like the sort of logistics of how we would have sex because of like the size of his penis and the size of his body. And I was like, you know what? I got this. So I was like, just lie down and chill and you're going to be fine. And I'm just going to take care of it. And so I got on top of him and uh, I put him inside of me and I rode him. And I remember him just being like, so like his eyes were wide and he was like, wow, we're really having sex right now. Oh my God. And I felt so hot, especially because like I had taken charge of the situation and I was like, hell yeah, we are. We're doing it. So that was fun and interesting. Um, you know, that relationship was very um, important um, and sweet in a lot of ways. And I think sometimes I think about it and it's like definitely not the kind of relationship I would have now. But, you know, we stayed together for like maybe another year after that. And it was really important to me to have sex with someone for the first time who like cared about me. Mostly because I tied a lot of my self-worth to having sex and I was really worried that, like, I was giving something away and that, like, if I gave it away to the wrong person, that I would somehow be, like, regretting that. And so it was just, like, I really wanted to be with someone who I knew cared about me. And I did do that, which I'm glad about. Yeah, my first time was really positive because I knew it was with someone who cared about me, cared about my feelings, and most importantly, like, because I have that anxious attachment issue, um, I knew they weren't going to abandon me after. And I think that's been a problem I've had with having sex with people is worrying that they're just going to disappear after. I had met a guy in a bar a couple of weeks before my last week in Gainesville, before I graduated. Yeah, he walked up to me and was smiling at me from across the bar and then came up to me and just like asked me how I was and I thought maybe I knew him so I hugged him immediately he like walked over didn't know me and I just embraced him because I had this bad habit of getting really drunk at this bar and I would often like be super friendly to people and then they'd they'd they like approach me like they knew me later on and I'd be like oh shit I don't fucking know this person but they know who I am so I've got to like pretend so because he was smiling at me like this gorgeous smile my god just like even thinking about it now like just the most beautiful smile I've ever seen on another human and I just felt like maybe he knew me so when he walked up to me I gave him a big old hug and I asked him how he was and and then he didn't really say much after that. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go like find my friends. Will you have a good night? Like it just like completely like didn't register with me that this person was probably hitting on me and had come up to me to hit on me. So then he, he's like came back around at the end of the night when the bar was closing and I had maybe had like a bump of cocaine and he was like, so can I get your number? And I was like, we haven't really talked all night. I don't, I don't even think I really know you. I thought I did before, but I'm realizing I don't. 
And uh, I don't really give my phone number out to people unless I know they're a good kisser. And he was like, well, what are we going to do about that? And I'm like, well, what would you like to do about that? So we made out in this bar. And he was a good kisser. And I got his phone number. He got mine. And actually, like, it was like two weeks later, I hit up another person who was sort of my, like, standard, like, friends with benefits would come over when it was, like, you know, it was casual, but, like, you know, there were some expectations there. Basically, just a fuck boy. And this fuck boy wasn't texting me back. And it was my last night in town, and I was kind of in my feelings. And I was like, all right, I just really want to have sex with somebody. So I'm going to text this guy. I'm going to text him. And he's like, I'm getting off of work. It was like midnight. I'm like, great. You want to come over and fuck me? He was like, yeah, absolutely. I do. I'm like, awesome. Here's my address. Be over in 20 minutes. He comes over and I'm all like bold and like say really forward things, but then the time comes and I'm a little nervous. And so I'm like, all right, let's chat for a little bit. Let me get to know who you are before we just jump right into this. Um, And we kind of eased into it, just like talking and getting to know each other. And then I told him I had a fat ass and he was like, yeah, let me see it. And so, you know, pretty soon I'm like putting my booty in his face and he's smacking my ass and Um, We get ready to have sex, and he pulls his pants down, and he had the longest dick I've ever seen. It was, like, I'm going to say it was nine inches, yo. It was so big. I actually had, like, a physical reaction. I was, like, oh, my God. Like, I was, like, oh. And he was, is everything okay? And I'm, like, yeah, it's fine. Your dick is just huge. Like, so huge. I'm not even sure if I can do that. But I'm going to give it a go because I'm – lonely and I need to have sex tonight so we have sex and it was amazing and I'm not gonna say that like big dicks are everything but this particular one was the vibes were there it was a cool night um the sex was awesome which doesn't usually happen with like somebody on the first time and we just kept talking and I don't know I just felt this sort of like electric pull with him so much so that like I uh, had gone off to, like, Europe for three weeks, and we talked every day. And when I came back, like, I went back to Gainesville just to have sex with him again. (laughs) And the sex was dope again. And then I went off to San Francisco, and we kept talking. And I used all of my airline miles to fly him out to San Francisco just so he could fuck me again. And (laughs) we just fucked, like... I don't know, like three or four times a day for like seven days straight. It was the most like fun, romantic, like hot time I'd ever had with someone. And he was just like a lot of fun. And there were some red flags, but I completely disregarded them because I was like, the dick is right. This guy is so hot. Like Sometimes I felt like he was too hot for me and I was just amazed that he was even there and that he was like so down to fuck me every day. And I don't know, you can call it being digmatized or you could call it love. I called it love at the time because I just felt this sort of like electric pull with him and I felt like there's no way that the sex could be this good and we could have this good of a time together and I could think about someone this much even when they're like thousands of miles away 
how could that not be love? And so whether it really was or it wasn't, um, I think that's the first and maybe the only time in my life that I truly felt like I was in love with someone. Do you mind if I ask how it ended? Oh, you know, (laughs) it's okay okay if you don't want to. It's no, it's fine. Um, So that ended because people uh, love to take their pain out on you. Um, One day out of the blue, he stopped talking to me, just went ghost. Mm. And uh, my heart was broken. I just wanted to, like, disappear into somebody else. So I was on Tinder a few months later. This guy is talking to me, and I get his Instagram, and I'm looking through his Instagram, and I'm like, hey, you're cool and all, but um, I used to date your friend. I can see on your Instagram that you guys have some photos together. It looks like you're pretty close. And so, um, you know, it's probably best that, like, we don't get involved because that could be messy for you. And he was like, oh, when did you guys date? And I'm like, oh, just, like, about two months ago. And he was like, that's interesting because, like, I just met his girlfriend, like, three months ago. And I was like, oh, true. Cool. So he had a girlfriend. He, I think he started to date her, like, while we were involved. And, you know, it was just sort of like, it sucked for a lot of reasons, not just because I was in love with him and he said that he was in love with me. And I thought that, like, you know, I had all of these romantic notions about how we were going to make that work. But it was more, it was just like, just tell me what's going on. Like, I was across the country and then I came back to Florida for a little bit and I was trying to figure out like how I could factor him into my life. And I think it's the thing about like sex and relationships. It's like, just be honest with people and like communicate your, your needs, your wants, your desires. Like no one's going to be upset with you for just, they might be disappointed, but no one's going to be upset with you for like speaking your truth. And I think it's just worse when you hide that from someone. I sort of spiraled into this, like, did I make everything up? Did he not feel the things that I felt? Did he not like believe all of the things that he was saying to me? Did I create some fantasy in my head? Like that this person cared about me more than they really did. And it was almost like my worst fear realized that like i you know, had so much sex with this person and they ended up just not giving a fuck about me. So it didn't end well. There were some messy events after where I actually ran into him in Gainesville and he apologized to me and he said he really did love me because he was scared and then he just got in this relationship because it was just easier and then didn't tell me about it. And, uh, that experience sort of launched me into the most toxic relationship I've ever had. And because I was heartbroken and I didn't know how to deal with that. So I just like started dating someone else who wasn't very good for me. And I ended up moving them to Portland with me. I ended up moving to Portland with a partner. And that was a really bad decision. So, yeah, that's my sort of tragic love story. Even though that relationship ended in a really, like, painful way, I do think I've grown a lot from it, and I've gained a lot from it as well. I fell in love with someone, and I put a lot of my 
hopes and my desires about partnership and romance and even sex like onto this person and I just projected everything that I wanted and when they disappointed me I didn't know what to do about that and so I just moved on to another person who I could just pour all of my trauma into (laughs) and um, even though we weren't good for each other I ended up learning a lot about myself and a lot about what I need in a relationship and you know you can love someone and have amazing sex with them and be super passionate about them but if they're not in a place to like take care of you emotionally and like be there for you and if you're not in a place to take care of yourself and be independent and grow with them then like you know there's nothing there you know love isn't enough you have to like learn what you don't want to like learn what you you do want and I think I've like learned in relationships that we all sort of act out our trauma and like the things in our childhood that we didn't receive definitely play out in our romantic relationships in sometimes a really dark and horrible way that's almost like hard to accept. And I think the hard thing about relationships isn't just that like relationships require work, like you need to work and compromise to make the relationship work, but it requires a lot of self-work and like a lot of confronting the ugliness of like who you are and all of the things that like were missing in your life. It also requires like this radical like self-honesty Like, are you willing to address those things and are you willing to do something about them or are you just going to let them continue to fester in your relationship and make them the problem of your partner? And uh, that's been a hard lesson to learn and kind of a reason why I've not really had um, a lot of relationships in recent years. went to the University of Florida, go Gators, in Gainesville, Florida, which is like North Florida. And it's a huge school. It's got lots of like fraternities and sororities, 50,000 students. It's a big football school. Not really like my vibe, to be honest, but I went there because it was the most like affordable option. And they had like a really good communication school. And I made a practical decision to go there and not, I didn't pick a school that I think felt like a good social fit for me. And so it was sort of hard to be gay there. It was a not super common and you're sort of surrounded by a lot of like hetero energy when you go to a huge football school. (laughs) In college, I had like made out with girls and I had even gone on some dates with women, but I still wasn't fully, like, comfortable being gay in Florida. The difficult thing is, being bisexual, like, I never want to make, like, a woman feel uncomfortable. And that's what I think makes me, like, nervous to approach women sometimes. Uh, I, I have a hard time even distinguishing who's gay and who's not, and unless they tell me. And then I just don't ever want to be accused of, like, I don't know, preying on someone. Um, so I get nervous around around women 
um, that I'm interested in. And that's why it's easier to just like connect with friends, I suppose. Right after college, I moved to Portland. I actually went out to San Francisco first. I was like, where's the gayest place I can go <laughs> that I can actually like be my authentic self? Um, but Silicon Valley was a little too expensive for me. Um, and then I picked maybe the second gayest place I could go, which is Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Got a job here and was just sort of delighted that was it was a little easier to be gay here. And that there were actually communities and spaces to be gay here and not in the in the kind of formulaic like the LGBT like club in college you know that people were a part of uh, almost felt weird joining those things because again like I don't always meet people who aren't dismissive of like bisexuals I think people in Portland are a little more welcoming especially when I compare them to my experiences in Gainesville Florida the first time I, like, had sex the way I would define it now with a female partner, it was actually with a friend. Actually, most of my experiences with women have been with friends, which is not true with men. With men, I have probably had more sexual experiences with people I didn't know very well. Actually, probably more sexual experiences with strangers. But with women, I, for some reason, need to feel a little more comfortable with them, and I end up having sex with people that I am friends with first we had been day drinking <laughs> which you know took a little bit of the edge off when um, you know trying to initiate something with her uh, we were on a rooftop drinking you know we were just like enjoying the day and our in the sunlight again she was you know giving me lots of compliments and I think I have a compliment kink I must because like once someone's complimenting me I'm just like putty and, uh, yeah, she um, went to the bathroom, and I followed her in there. And when we both came out of the stall, I just grabbed her, and we started to make out. And, you know, she told me I was beautiful and that, like, she thought about me a lot. And I was like, damn, like, I almost, like, couldn't believe it, really. And I asked her if she wanted to come back to my place, and so we went back to my place, and had sex and it was you know it was sloppy because I was drunk I'll be honest um, I was also very nervous and I knew that it couldn't be like what it was when I had sex with a man because she was married um, she was married to a man and was in an open marriage and you know I knew that this was just for fun and it wasn't you know, going to turn into anything romantic or serious. And I wasn't even sure if I had feelings for her like that. I just knew I was attracted to her and I liked that she was attracted to me. And we were just having fun together and I was like 25. So it was a little easier for me to, to kind of let go of some of the notions I had about sex and relationships that I had when I was 20. So it was just a fun time and we're still friends and it was all good after that. Um, but it was definitely um, different than when I had sex with a man. I was at a barbecue and it's post pandemic. And I've been joking that like, we're getting slutty this, like this summer because of like the, you know, post pandemic, like we're unleashing everything. We, it's just, we're going to be feral this summer. Like we're out titties ass. Like we're full on, like just trying to like, 
you know, be hedonists and just like fucking feel good. Uh, that's how I feel. And so I go to this barbecue. It's my first like barbecue since like getting vaccinated. And it's a Vax for Vax barbecue. And I said at the start of the day, I was like, listen, I'm making out with at least three people today. It's just going to happen. So I set an intention for this barbecue. We had a keg of rosé. That's how lit this barbecue was. This is why I hang out with the bears. Like, they just know what to do. And so I was feeling really good. You know, I was smoking weed. I was having rosé. And I was sitting on the back porch at my friend's house. And one of my friends, she's like a friend of a friend who, like, I... I wouldn't say I'm super close with, but has like joined our circle in the last like year or two. I think she's really lovely, but I never felt anything like romantic with her. I honestly never spent like that much time with her, but all of a sudden I like, I'm on this couch and I, I have her like under my arm and I don't even know how she got there. She just like cuddles up next to me. Maybe I put my arm around her, who knows? And I... I'm listening to her talk and she's not looking at me. She's not making eye contact with me. She's just like kind of like looking off to the side. And she's like, you know, Carla, I think you're so great. And she's just like, again, with the compliments, like this is about like women are, this is what I love about women, but it's also what gets me about women. You know, we just like, we love to just gas each other up and tell each other how wonderful and beautiful we are. And sometimes that's just platonic, but I am just like a simp and I'm just like, yes, please uh, tell me how beautiful I am. And like, I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are. And then we'll just like suck on each other's nipples later. And <laughs> I got her in my arm and she's like giving me all these compliments. And I'm like, hmm, all right, I'm going to shoot my shot. Like, let's see. So I just start like tucking her hair behind her ear and I'm just like kind of caressing her face a little bit. I just like moved her head, tilted her head like towards me and we start kissing and it, you know, I think surprised both of us. I always thought she was beautiful uh, and she had like talked about being with a woman before. So that might have given me confidence as well. But we were, yeah, we were just sitting there, started making out. She was like telling me how much she loved my body. And then pretty soon she's like straddling me. Everyone else has gone inside and we're just out here on this like patio furniture and she's like straddling me and she's got my nipples out and like she's sucking on my breasts. All my friends are like inside, like trying not to look, but like also looking. And <laughs> I asked her if she would take me home. So we went back inside. We went back to her place and it was just a really good time. And it just felt like after the pandemic, like I've been so starved for physical touch like of course I like hug my friends in my pod and you know we're a very affectionate group but there's something different about like being touched in like a desirable sexual way and I have been really starved for that and so it wasn't just that she was like paying me compliments and telling me that she loved my body which like of course will always win me over but I was also just like I was wanted to be held and I wanted to be kissed and I wanted somebody to like enjoy my body and I wanted to enjoy someone else somebody else's body and so it just felt like I really needed it and it was nice that it was with a friend because 
again, I didn't have to worry that she would just disappear after. So that was really, I remember that fondly because it was just like one of my first sexual experiences coming out of this dry ass pandemic. Generally, when I want something or someone, just kind of lean on being really forward <laughs> because it's just easier, especially when it comes to straight men. They don't seem phased by it. I would never talk to a woman the way that I talk to uh, straight men. But with straight men, I'm like, all right, let's just get down to business. So I was um, traveling with uh, my best friend from college and another friend of ours backpacking through Europe. Okay. And we were in Rome. We were staying at this hostel and we were coming back from a night out and we're on a bus and I sat next to this guy on the bus and I, yeah, I, could, I couldn't tell you what I even said to him, but I just invited him back to the hostel with me and he was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll, I'll go to this hostel with you, sure. Probably really dangerous on both of our parts, but whatever. Took him to this hostel and my friends go to bed and I'm like, fuck, where am I going to have sex with him? Because we're in a hostel. So I can't take him into that room where everybody's asleep. So I took him to into the bathroom at first. And he just, like, fucked me against the sink. And, the re like, one of the reasons why I remember this so fondly, besides the fact that it was, like, kind of hot to, like, have sex in this hostel, like, where I wasn't supposed to and where anybody could walk in, he also just, like, treated it like it was amazing to him he just kept saying like oh my god like over and over again and I just felt so hot like I just felt like so wanted and like I was giving this guy like I was blowing his mind because he was just kept saying oh my god I can't believe this I can't believe this but then pretty soon we were just having sex all over this hostel we had sex up against the window in the kitchen we had sex on this little like love seat outside of the room where everybody was sleeping and my best friend comes out to go to the bathroom she opens up the door and he's in the middle of like lifting me up in the air and she just goes oh my god excuse me <laughs> she said excuse me <laughs> and was like i'm just gonna go use the bathroom she goes to the bathroom we pause for a second and like sit down on the couch and like cover up a little bit and then she goes back into the room she's like all right have fun guys and um he again just paid me like beautiful compliments about my body about how beautiful I was he told me a very powerful and and sad story about growing up in um, Guyana and um, how he had gotten stabbed as a child and that's why he had a scar on his chest and uh, we just kind of talked and he was actually a really beautiful person and he said something so hot to me that I'll never forget. When we were in the middle of fucking, he said, I want to suck your pussy dry. And I was like, what? Wow, we. I was so into it. So I remember that fondly because, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was really empowering that I could just, you know, get what I wanted and, and he'd be so into it and he just worshiped me and. I felt good.
embarrassed like easily, but this is pretty embarrassing. Um, so this was the same guy that I had sex with and fell in love with. When I was back in Gainesville visiting him, we went to a party together, just like at my friend's apartment. And at some point in the night, we leave the party, we go outside, and we're just in this like grassy area outside of the apartment building. I don't know. I, I think I thought that we were like in more of a wooded area than we were because maybe there were some trees around. It was dark. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe people can see us. So he like bends me over and we start to have sex. And my friend is like, oh, I wonder where Carilla went. And he walks out of his apartment and we're pretty much just like right there in the grass like in front of this party. And my friend just screams <laughs> out of shock and other people come out and they're just like looking out and just see me in the grass, just getting like railed. And <laughs> someone is like driving, like park their car. They're just driving right by and I'm sure they saw us. And honestly, like I don't even think that was the like embarrassing part. Although it was a Halloween party and I was Minnie Mouse. And the next morning, my friend sent me a photo of my Minnie Mouse ears just abandoned in the grass. Um, the embarrassing part actually came after the next morning when I went to the bathroom and I realized that we had had sex with my tampon in. And my tampon was like unattainable. Like I couldn't get it out of me. I don't know why I didn't remember to take it out. I don't know how he didn't remember like or see or feel it or anything, but it was just lost inside of me. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I go up like I wake him up and I'm like, hey, I need your help. <sighs> like something bad has happened. And he's like, what? What are you what's like? What's wrong? I'm like, my tampon is lost inside of me and I need you to put your hand inside me and take it out. And he was like, all right. I mean, I hope this works. I'm like, I think it will. Otherwise we got to go to Planned Parenthood. I think they do tampon retrieval because I didn't have health insurance at the time. And um, we go into the bathroom and I just like get in the tub and like sprawl out on the tub and he puts his hand in and he takes it out. He flushes it in the toilet, washes his hands goes to the door, looks back at me and says, we'll never speak of this. And then just shuts the door. <laughs> but I'll speak of it. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so that was, yeah, the most embarrassing sex I've ever had because it ended up with uh, my partner having to fish my tampon out of my bloody vagina. I think the best part about having sex with me is that I am very like validating and I make people feel good emotionally. I want to make my partner feel good, not just physically, but also just like feel good about themselves. And well, I kind of give the same validation that like I'm looking for. You know, I tell them what I like about their body. I tell them I like I think you're hot I think you're sexy what you're doing is hot I'm very communicative during sex I think that's the key to having good sex is to communicate a lot so like yeah tell people 
what they're doing that you like. Like, that feels great. You're doing amazing. Like, you're, you know, I love your breasts. I love your curves. I love your ass. I love your lips. Your hair is beautiful. Like, you're a great kisser. You're really good at that. I just give lots of positive reinforcement and positive affirmations. And I don't know. I guess for me, it's like, Every sexual experience I have with someone is unique because not because every single human being is unique and everyone feels differently for different reasons. You know, and I can sit here and be like, I've been told I'm really great at riding dick, like, you know, but at the same or I'm really good at eating someone out. But at the same time, like, I think what makes having sex with someone special is that I see the that person and I treat that person um, in a unique way. And that's what makes like our sex special not just the physical element i'm able to like even laugh during sex and i think that is nice because silly things happen in sex all the time like you know have you ever just like made like something's made like a farting noise by accident like no one's farted but like you just moved into something's wet and it's just like caught some air and it's like the, the farting sound happens and you just have to giggle about it or maybe you're like in a position and you don't really like you're, you're uh, like you're not really sure like what you're doing or you fall over or you know you try something and it's not going to work like i think sex can definitely be like kind of just like messy and silly and fun and i'm able to like roll with that and also like make my partner not feel like embarrassed i'm able to make them feel like you're still so hot and sexy and like never mind that you might have farted <laughs> I think um, I've used sex as validation a lot, especially like with my insecurities around my body. I think I can sometimes kind of use sex as a way to like reassure myself that I'm still attractive, even though like a lot of society is dead set on telling me that I'm not attractive because I'm a plus size woman. You know, everyone from my own mother to even just like casual statements that friends make about fatness and fat bodies and it's on tv every day like if you're fat then like you're unworthy and so I think I've definitely used sex to like provide evidence to myself that like I am worthy people want me at least I can still have sex with someone and that person's really hot and they wanted to have sex with me and uh, I've definitely used sex to just make myself like feel better about my own body rather than just like doing the internal work to make myself feel better about my body. That is a disappointment that I've sort of like put on myself in a way because I've just used it as this sort of like crutch. But also I think I, it took me a long time to understand that sex was something that I was doing for me and not always doing it for someone else. I've definitely gotten in this trap when it comes to consent with a partner, I've allowed people to pressure me into having sex when I didn't really want to because I didn't treat sex like it was something that was just for me. I think it took me a while to realize that consent can be withdrawn at any time and it doesn't matter how drunk you are or what you wore or that you invited them over, that you went home with them, that you're dating, that you are in a relationship. I've definitely not 
treated sex like it was something that I was just completely doing for myself and for my own pleasure and for my own enjoyment. And then I didn't really owe anybody anything when it came to sex. Uh, it took me a long time to realize that. I think now I am much better around creating like boundaries and picking people to have sex with that I trust and like I ask myself the right questions. So when I got out of that relationship with that person that I lost my virginity to, I was like a senior in college and I was like, all right, it's like hookup time. I'm just going to start sleeping with people. And I did. I just, you know, fuck boys all around um, <laughs> and a couple of makeout sessions with women, but nothing ever like more than that because I was just kind of afraid to be gay. And um, now I feel like I treat sex less like, like I treat sex not like some, like I have something to prove to myself anymore. Like I need to validate myself or I need to make myself feel good about myself. Sometimes I've just wanted to disappear in another person. Like maybe I was sad or I was in my feelings about something. I wasn't feeling good about my life or who I am or my body or what what external factors that were going on or even my relationship with someone else and so I would just use sex as this sort of like immediate satisfaction of like I'm gonna fuck this person and for the next hour I don't need to think about anything I can just completely surrender into this experience and I don't even really need to be myself right now but now for me I think sex is more fun and it's just about enjoying my body and enjoying someone else's body and having a good time which is I think what it should be and what it always should have been and it's not more complicated than that we have sex because it feels good and yeah you know it can serve some purposes as well I'm not really interested in you know procreating but like I think it's just a part, it's a beautiful part of the human experience and it's a beautiful part of life and we should enjoy it and we all deserve that. And it doesn't have to be this tool that I use to feel better. It's just a tool that I use to just feel good because I already feel good, but let's take it to the next level, you know? So yeah, I stopped, I, I started respecting sex a lot more for what it is and respecting myself a lot more, I think. Yeah, if I could sit down with myself before I even had sex, like 20-year-old me, I would say that, like, you know, do this for you every time you decide to do this, every time you decide to have sex. Ask yourself if you're doing this for you and if you're doing it with someone you trust and if you're doing it with someone who makes you feel good, who you want to make feel good, too. And are you doing this because it's just something that you want to be doing? Or are you doing this because you want to self-soothe? Before you encounter, like, sex with any person, ask yourself if there's any other way that you can take care of yourself in this moment, if that's what you're trying to do. Or if you're just truly trying to enjoy yourself, then by all means, go for it. 
and don't feel like your self-worth is tied up in sex because the things you're looking for, you're not going to find in your bed. I'll admit I haven't ever felt super comfortable hanging out with like a predominantly like lesbian or bisexual space, mostly because of that imposter syndrome where I know that like as far as the way I present myself, like I'm very, I would say like straight passing, you know, there's nothing about me that like you could clock me as being interested in women unless you spoke to me or like and asked me about it or saw me with a woman. And I think sometimes I just get a little like nervous around like the lesbian community that they'll be dismissive of me or they'll say like, well, you're not really like one of us. So you're not really like bisexual. You're just like curious or you just think this is fun or like you've made out with a couple of your girlfriends. So I actually like find a lot of um, acceptance in like the gay male community and actually in the bear community as well, because I struggle a lot with like my body image and just, you know, feeling confident in myself. And I like hanging out with bears because they're just all about like just putting it all out there and just like being themselves and they'll wear leather harnesses and have sex in public and, you know, they don't really like give a fuck. And I don't mean to typecast the entire bear community. Not all bears are like that, but I don't know. There's something like about it that like, because I don't identify as a bear, it's almost like more comfortable being around bears. And every bear that I've ever met has been super accepting and, and wonderful to me. I think a lot of plus size women, they don't feel desired. You know, I wasn't always this size. I've, I've gone through periods where I've been smaller. I've never been thin. <laughs> or at least if I was, I certainly never felt thin. I look at pictures of myself maybe from high school and I'm like, all right, well, I, you know, I wasn't fat. I was just like, you know, I had a few extra pounds and, but still I just, I always felt like my body made me unworthy and I, I just worried about whether other people would want me. And my own mother would even say things to me like, you don't want to get too big. You want to be one of those big ladies because then you won't be able to find a man. And she always equated like my body to men and what they wanted. You know, her rule was no boys and no sex. And if you have sex, that's bad and that's wrong. But even when you like when it is time for you to have sex, make sure that you look what good and that you're you're what men want you to be. And I always felt like I'm failing at that. Like, I'm not what men want me to be. And I always defined sexuality and my sexual experiences in terms of what other, like, what men wanted. Even my own bisexuality I define in a very, like, heteronormative way where I'm like, they won't think I'm bisexual. They're just, they're just going to think I'm experimenting because, you know, I'm not gay enough. And the reason I feel I'm not gay enough is because we've just defined this, like, ourselves in this very, like, binary way. You know, of like, you either look like a woman or you look like a man. And if you're a woman, you need to have, you need to be thin and beautiful. And, you know, you can be curvy, but not too curvy. And it's just like everything I think that we define in society around sex and sexuality is very much based on what like straight men want. And that's been very frustrating for me. Uh, and I just want like all women to know that they deserve pleasure not on anyone else's terms, but their own.
And no matter how you feel about your body, whether you're fat or you're not, or you even just, you know, just feel unattractive, like you deserve pleasure. And there is someone out there who will want to pleasure you. And sex is a beautiful thing and you don't need to use it to validate yourself. Like you can just enjoy it. Enjoy your body. Our bodies are like gifts that we're given. And this vessel gives us so much, including pleasure. You should always appreciate that and not take it for granted. And, you know, you don't have to love yourself every single day, but you should definitely know that if you desire yourself, other people will desire you. Fruit Bowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Larger donations and sponsorships are tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal sponsorship with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>